If you're a veteran or military spouse of another state startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Lives branding team. One of my goals moving forward on the show is to do more ecosystem mapping to support the community. There's so many amazing programs and resources available for veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses that I'm making it my personal mission to share them all with you on the show. On previous episodes, I've sat down with Seda Golf from the PinFed Foundation and Megan Ogilvie from Dog Tag Bakery. And today I'm joined by Misty Fox, Director of Entrepreneurship and Small Business at the Institute for Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University. IVMF has been serving the veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem for 15 years, and they bring a lot of data and insights into the challenges we all face. On the show, Misty and I discuss the various different programs offered by IVMF, including their flagship Entrepreneur Bootcamp for Veterans, and how together, Bunker Labs and IVMF can continue to build a strong ecosystem of veterans and military spouses. If you need access to capital or professional services, including attorneys, accounting, accountants, etc., this is an episode that you do not want to miss. Before you hear from Misty and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I've been slacking on getting a newsletter out as I've been knee-deep revising my book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, and the cognitive load has been real. So I appreciate you all for being patient with me. But if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I have one more favor to ask also. If you would kindly leave me a review for this show on iTunes, I would truly appreciate it. I want more of our community to have access to this show and by submitting reviews and sharing it with others in your network, you allow our community and impact to grow. So whatever you can do, it's much, much appreciated. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Misty, welcome to the bunker. What's going on? <laughs> you know, it's a good day. It's a good Monday. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I've been seeing IVMF pop up since I entered the veteran entrepreneur ecosystem back in uh, 2016. Yeah. No, it's actually 2017 because I came way uh, by uh, Stanford Ignite. So that okay. was my first exposure that there was this like veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem. And over the years, I've always seen the IVMF stuff out at Syracuse. You guys have been putting out reports. Like I told you in a pre-interview, I use some of your data for uh, my book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur. But I realized I never actually spoke to anyone at IVMF. And, you know, as we start to map out this growing, you know, kind of veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem, I just think it, it would be great to get you on. So I reached out to you on LinkedIn and was like, talk to our audience about IVMF, all the resources and stuff you guys provide so that the community understands what's out there and what's available. So uh, real happy to have you on today. No, thank you. And I think that's huge. I love the fact I said this too in the pre-interview, but 
you know, I love the fact that you're ecosystem mapping, if you will. So, I mean, we know, so there's big, you know, I'll say this all throughout this time that data is my bestie, best friends with it. But Kaufman put out a big study and they talked about how ecosystems are only as good as its connectivity. And so I think being able to draw that connective tissue between all these groups is awesome. So I'm glad that you're taking that first stab at it. And it's, it's the only better to serve our veterans. So big fan. Yeah, it's almost like you got to be in the know. Right. You know, yeah. people go to business school and you're like, oh, I heard you went to business school at University <laughs> of Chicago. And they're like, it's Booth or it's yeah. Warden, whatever. It's Warden. And if you don't know any better, you don't know. And I feel it's the same thing with the ecosystem. Right. right. Because I look up and I see all these resources, Street Shares Foundation, IVMF, et cetera. But on the outside looking in, you know, a lot of people don't know this stuff. So um, until we start to get the word out and spread the message, you know, it's never enough because there's always new veterans and military spouses right. that are entering. So even though you say it over and over again, right, the reality of it is you got to constantly educate um, new people. Yeah. So Mark Rockefeller, speaking of straight share, said it best. And I think it's very interesting. He said, you know, if only folks would treat their military service like an alumni group. And because he was like, you know, you wouldn't if you went to Wharton. I didn't. I went to a state school. But, you know, people that... <laughs> People that did that, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't hesitate to reach out to them on LinkedIn to be like, hey, we have this mutual connection. We both went to Harvard Business School. You know, let's let's have a conversation about that. And immediately, because you have that shared interest, folks are like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, of course, I'll take care of that. But for some reason, I see it very often, especially in the veteran space, like there's that hesitation to to treat it like the same thing. And it's like, no, you should absolutely. I mean, I remember when Mark said that on a panel I was with him on, I was like, oh, that's that's genius because you absolutely should. Cause to your point, yeah, we have to shout it from the, the rooftops all the time. But if you treated that like your, your alumni circle, then your alumni circle would help you kind of get to that right resource in the least amount of time. And that's really what it's there for. Exactly. I was talking to a buddy about that today. I was like, just find another veteran that's doing something very similar to you yeah. and reach out to them and connect with them because they're going to want to help you win and succeed. But I think a lot of times people transition depending on their experience. Some people can be a little bit jaded. Some people are trying to reestablish a new yeah. identity post-military right. and you can do it the slower, harder way or you do it the faster way and reach out people that are already looking for ways to help support uh, more veterans and military spouses. So, yeah. you know, let's start by having you just first off, introduce yourself of uh, to our listeners. Yeah. So Misty Fox, as you said, I'm the director of entrepreneurship and small business here at the Daniello Institute for Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University. Weirdly long title. I, I wear, I'm aware of that, but it's academia. So what can we say? Um, I've now been at the Institute for close to seven years. Uh, previous to that, I was actually at Oklahoma State University where I ran their entrepreneurship programs to include the veteran entrepreneurship program. Uh, I've lived in South Africa, North Carolina, Oklahoma, now Syracuse, New York. Uh, I apparently have an affinity for college towns that start with S whose main color is orange, but it's a good time. Um, I'm actually not military connected aside from my family being my uncles were in the Navy, um, grandparents, of course, were in the Army. Um, but I've been working with veteran entrepreneurs for the better part of about 15 years now. Love it. And listen, I agree. I bring SMEs on this platform who are not veterans, but they provide value to our community. You've been working in the community, so you're connected. And uh, that's all that matters. And, you know, one of the things we do on the show, Misty, is we take off our armor and get vulnerable. And so yeah. this gives words of encouragement to our listeners who might be dealing with the same thing themselves. And so I'll go first. One thing I've been struggling with is just busyness, you know, 
I just missed the days when I would just like, I felt like I didn't have to hustle, you know, that I just had free time and I just feel my time getting like crunched. And so one of the things I got to practice is saying no to yeah. things so I can focus on the things that are worth saying like hell yes to. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it has been to do with this book, creating content, because even this requires deep work. I can't just create a podcast, just run around being busy. And I want to create better content. I'm always trying to focus on that um, consistent incremental improvement. And what I have found in order to do that, in order to write my book, in order to do all that kind of stuff, I really need to have more quiet time. Phone mm -hmm. off, no emails, just to write and think. And I've been struggling uh, protecting that. So that's something I'm dealing with currently, uh, but I'm, I'm working on pushing past it. It's out share mine too. I think it's funny that you, you talked about busyness because they always say silence is golden. You have all these great sayings and then you never provide yourself silence. You know, for me, um, I've been on the road effectively three to four days since March. And this is now in my first stretch where for a week and a half, I'll actually be home. And, you know, we have an eighth grader at home and we, you know, our father-in-law lives with us. And, then of course I keep a schedule where we serve 25,000 veterans a year. So like you, it's, it's busyness, but I think where I start to get into it and where I see it going is like, then it's that guilt, right? So it's the guilt that I come home and I need maybe a day or at least an afternoon to just decompress and try to find that. But then I feel guilty because I've already been away from family. So I feel like I need to be all there for them and then be all there where I'm at work. And then when do I get to be all there for myself, I guess? And then, you know, you start to feel guilty because is that selfish? Is that because I'm not now being the best wife I could be? Or am I being a good wife by taking that time? I don't know. So it's like you get in this like weird cyclical thing of if I'm not taking care of everyone else, but if I am taking care of everyone else and I'm not taking care of myself and therefore I can't take care of everyone else. And I know that to be true, but what you know to be true and then being able to act on it are two different th and then being able to explain that to your family too are like three different things. So I think, I think it's hard. I think when you're a high achiever to your point with, and not even, and I don't say high achiever, meaning that like we're starting the next Facebook or Google, it'd be nice. But you know, like when you're, when you demand excellence of whatever level you're at, I think it's hard to then allow yourself to not, to just be normal too. And normal people need breaks. But then Absolutely. you hear like, the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apple people, they're like, well, I take silence. And, you know, what's his name? Um, what's his name? The founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates. It's fine. Yeah. You know, like goes off and like locks himself up for a week where he doesn't even have a phone. Like, I'm like, okay, if that guy sees the value in it, then I should probably see the value in it too. So I think a lot of guilt um, in, in career is real, especially with entrepreneurs too. But myself, I find it a lot. One million dollar insight I heard from you, Misty, was take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Protect the asset. That's one of my core values. And I got up and did CrossFit this morning yeah. to make sure I'm doing that. But for all our listeners, listen, we understand the entrepreneurial hustle is real. You're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. People start talking about recession, inflation and everything. If there's nothing else you take away from us getting vulnerable is to make sure you're taking care of yourself. You cannot right. pour from an empty cup. Exactly. You, there's no way you're going to be able to perform at the level you need to if you're uh, mentally and physically uh, defeated. So just make sure that you guys are taking care of yourselves out there. And I appreciate you sharing and getting vulnerable uh, for our listeners, Misty. Now, one of the things I want to acknowledge is what brought us here today is Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping uh, veterans and military spouses start and grow uh, their own businesses. Now, 
what you and I were talking about was there's a lot of different VSOs out there in the ecosystem. I didn't even realize veteran entrepreneurship was a thing until I got connected with Stanford and, yeah. and Marker Labs. But what you know I were talking about is that like it's not one or the other. It's not Pepsi and Coke. No. It's, you go through different phases, yeah. you know, and when you come in at one phase, you might need something for a different phase and stuff, et cetera. And so that's why it's so important to get you on this platform and going back to that ecosystem uh, mapping. And you all have been around. You've been in the, working with veteran entrepreneurs since for like 15 years. Yeah. Marker Labs didn't really even pop up, I think, until like 2015, 2014, yeah. around there. How have you seen the ecosystem grow and change over the years? And what have you seen the impact it's had on the community of veteran entrepreneurs? Yeah. So, and just to give you an idea, so the Institute started with Mike Haney, who was an Air Force veteran who got out of the Air Force after 14 years, came over and was a professor at Whitman. I'm pointing across the street, but was a professor at Whitman School of Management. And as a summer project said, I'm going to help service-disabled veterans craft their own vocation because we know that those with uh, disabilities start businesses at higher rates and veterans start businesses at higher rates. So that started in 2007. And now the Institute, much like the ecosystem, has grown up a lot. We now have four pillars. We've served 176,000 veterans at a rate of now of 25,000 a year. But to your point around the ecosystem, entrepreneurship, lucky for us, you know, kind of hit a renaissance, I would say probably really in the early 2000s. And so what you were looking at is folks that really wanted to start businesses again. And you saw entrepreneurship centers at universities pop up, which meant now that research was being done because universities have that research component. Now you saw much like, you know, there's entrepreneurship centers popping up in parts of cities that needed kind of that renaissance as well. And you saw all of those things work together. And then you saw these centers start for specialized populations. So you saw them for women and veterans and, you know, other underserved populations. And I think what's really great about that is at first it started where, like for us, EBV had to serve everyone. So whether or not you were thinking, and that was our first program, Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans. So if you were thinking about starting a business or if you had already started a business, you had one program to go to. And now, years later, right? So we're in 2022. So 17 years later, if you do them 15 years later, if you do the math, um, they're specialized. And that's the beauty of it. So instead of it being, here's this one program that's supposed to fit everyone. If you look at us, even we have 11 national programs, international programs that fit entrepreneurs where they're at. And I think that's the beauty is that this ecosystem has gone from a couple people trying to do it all to there's vets in tech. And then Bunker Labs even has three specialized programs. We have 11 specialized programs. You know, you have Dog Tag that has an amazing you know, program where they can go through and learn all about entrepreneurship, but also about what it takes to run a bakery and then go and apply that to their business. Then you have folks that are doing career prep and transition. And I think that's where we see this ecosystem evolving towards where let's put everyone to their first best use and not have them try to be all things to all people. But let's make sure that you do what you do extremely well. You can look at the Veteran Institute for Procurement, all government contracting, doesn't care about private contracting. And that's not because she doesn't think it's important. It's because someone else can do that and do it really well. And she can go to her first best use, she being Barbara Ash and VSBC, great convener around government contracting. And again, not because not any of the other stuff doesn't matter, but because if you do what you do really well, you can really have more of an impact. So where I've seen this ecosystem sort of move to is that right there where it's, there's now specialized programs. Now what's the 
ugly side of that, we now have 44,000 VSOs. So there's a lot of noise. And so folks that are now trying to figure out where this ecosystem is and who they can go chat with have to really spend a lot of time of educating themselves on what are these specialty programs. There's, you know, Farmer Veteran Coalition. That's amazing if you're going into an ag world. But how do you find out about them unless you know someone that's been through them before? And so I think that it is now on our shoulders as ecosystem partners to really educate the world on here's who's out there. This is what's worth investing your time in. And let me help you navigate, not create or duplicate the wheel, but really help folks get to the right resource in the least amount of time. So let's start with IVMF, right? So talk to us about the programs you offer. And then also, you know, what kind of niche you feel like you own relative to, you know, the bunker labs of the world and the pen feds and and all the other ones out there. So the Institute, like I said, started in 2007 with the Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans. And we'll start with that program. And then I'll kind of zoom up for a second before we go back into entrepreneurship. The Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans was a program that was set up right at the height of everything that was going on overseas with OIF and OEF. And and allowing returning soldiers to really figure out how they can craft their own vocations when they come back. And we do that through a three-phase program where they start online, and then we actually fly them to one of eight universities across the nation on our dime and put them up Saturday to Saturday at these universities so you can have an MBA-style boot camp to go through everything they need to know about starting a business. And from there, we have post-program support where we do about a million dollars in pro bono services a year from website design to social media to sales training to report running with ProQuest, Mintel, Ibis World, etc. Um, and we see great results coming out of that. Startup rates in the 70%, survival rates in the 90%. So it's great. From there, the Institute grew up. Like I said, we now have four pillars. So we actually have our career prep and transition pillar through Onward Opportunity, which has over 50 different learning uh, pathways someone can go through. So what's a learning pathway? So if you've ever heard of a PMP or Certified Ethical Hacker or CISSP or HR, um, all of those things, because credentialing is kind of the future in terms of folks really need those credentials as they move up in their in their careers. And O2L provides this for free. So you can go to one of the locations across the country that we have, or you can take it online, meaning you can get that through all this classwork and then actually sit for your your certification. So that PMP, you're not out of dime. We pay for the entire thing. It's not a reimbursement. It's not a GI bill, nothing like that. We also have our America Serves networks, which are community coordinated care networks across the nation, where instead of you going on and knocking on a million doors, because there's typically a co-occurrence of needs, meaning if you're facing issues with your VA claim or joblessness or anything like that, you can go to one person in this network fill out one claim and it gets forwarded to all the different people that need to see it to help you again, get to that right resource in the least amount of time. So it takes on average 72 hours for those to be referred and completed as opposed to weeks on end of them having to chase that down. Of course, we have our data and research folks. I mean, where would we be without them? Not a lot of places. They're phenomenal. Um, They really take on a lot of things around job portability. Uh, They've done some around mental health, uh, entrepreneurship, SOFA, et cetera. So they also do a lot of external work with other organizations around what does what their measurement evaluation, what drives their programs. And of course, entrepreneurship. So I have 11 programs, like I said, in three different phases, ideation, startup, and growth. 
really what we are is we're the academics of the world. So our programs are very academic-based, very learning-based. And then when I say academic, again, I don't mean GI Bill, but I do mean we have, we put a lot of work and thought. We actually have a full-time curriculum person on on staff who really thinks about what are the modules that we need to go in. So if you're in ideation, we have programs like Ignite, which are one-day programs in communities across the nation where you can really start to learn about what your ecosystem in your community looks like and be introduced to those resources and what entrepreneurship is. We are actually the folks behind Boots to Business. Uh, you might have taken that upon transition, but we wrote the original curriculum and now still host about 170 workshops overseas every year on bases across the world. We also have um, our EBV Spark, which is something we started during the pandemic, which is an online program that goes for six months. And then if we go into startup, we have our Veteran Women Igniting the Spirit of Entrepreneurship, which is a 200-person conference that travels city to city. We've been in Phoenix this year, Nashville. We'll soon go to Chicago next year. Um, and that's a great program. Again, three phases where it's two weeks online, two and a half days in person, then you get access to that amazing post-program support. We have EBV that I mentioned, and then, of course, EBVF, which is for families, and it's the same exact thing as EBV, but for caretakers and spouses. And then we move into our growth portfolio that includes our EBV Accelerate for those that have five or more employees, our EDGE program, which is a large conference in Dallas every year. About 450 folks come in from across the nation. Average revenues start at around $2.5 for those that are going to be there. And we celebrate the Vet 100, which is the 100 fastest growing veteran-owned businesses in the nation. And then, of course, we have our RISE program, which is a pivot program for those that we saw the we saw during the pandemic that there was a lot of folks that were having to change completely the way that they do business and what and how their business operates. And so it was a program that is designed to have folks come in, look at their company, from a 30,000 foot view and figure out how they can take a, take it apart and put the pieces back together. All of that's supported by um, two resource hubs. So we are a community navigator grantee. Um, we are a tier one. So the SBA as a part of their um, CARES Act kind of launched this, this community navigator. And so groups like the US Black Chamber of Commerce, US Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, US Pan-Asian Chamber of Commerce are all tier ones really set really supporting these underserved communities. So we are that for the veteran world. So we're in communities across the nation looking at how we can connect that ecosystem and get veterans to move through the resources that they need to. And then, of course, we have the Coalition of Veteran-Owned Business, which is a group of Fortune 500 companies that have agreed to get veteran-owned businesses into their supply chains. And we do about 18,000 connections so far from people that are, you know, Walmart and their open call or Disney or Johnson & Johnson getting more veterans into their supply chain. So the little piece of the world that we own, um, you know, I think that, you know, when Bunker first came out, they did a great job of really being in communities and pulling together those like local communities. And now they're meeting in programs. We've always been very programmatic. That has been our thing um, since the beginning. And I think that's really the part that we do extremely well in terms of putting together these learning interventions, if you will, that folks can move through as, as they go through and then look at other groups to figure out, okay, so now how do I stay connected to my community? How do I serve back in my community when they're home? That's amazing. And yeah. I will tell you, I went to the Military Veteran Startup Conference and I met a couple entrepreneurs there because uh, the ecosystem is so big. You're in your yeah. little bubble, right? So I yeah. think I've been everywhere and I damn near met everyone. But then I go out to like California and I realize there's all these people I haven't met. And there was a group of individuals that connected at the uh, EBV 
Yeah. Down in uh, Texas A&M University. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they were like tight now because they spent a week down there. I'm from College Station, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. A&M was my backyard. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they're at EBV and they had nothing but positive things to say for it. I know another friend of mine, Marco Fialo, who was actually on this podcast. He learned entrepreneurship through the EBV in uh, University of Connecticut, I believe. Yeah, UConn. So really powerful program. And it's great to kind of get a better understanding about the scope of what you guys and gals are offering, you know, up there in Syracuse, because I think a lot of us come in the game, right? You get fired up, you're going to events and stuff. At a certain point, you take that leap, you're in the business, you're fighting. Some of you are still a hobby or whatever, but then there's some that are like, okay, now you're really in it. And now you got to navigate, you got to hire people, you got all this stuff. Now I pay for business coaching, right? So that's what's helped me get to where I'm at. Super valuable. But you guys offer really great programs to support kind of every stage of growth is Mm -hmm. what it sounds like. Yes. And we've seen people go through it. It's funny that you mentioned the EBV. So we'll call them the mafia because they do. They go through a week of classes together and it's 30 of them that are now really best friends. I mean, that's your accountability partner. That's your shoulder. And I think to your point, you get into this ecosystem and sometimes it feels lonely because you know, as you move on to each step, the group gets smaller. The group that wants to be an entrepreneur is bigger than the group that decides to actually jump off of being an entrepreneur. The group that decides to jump off and actually make this full time is smaller than the group that remains hobbyist. The, the group that, you know, moves from full time to hiring um, and creating like not just a job replacement, but now I'm actually creating jobs is smaller than the group that just stays as a solopreneur, right? So people feel like they're getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. So that's why we look at it as, yeah. So as you move on, we have an intervention for that. And then the whole point is, is, and then here's other people that are at that same crossroads as you that have dealt with it, that have been there and done that. You know, we just had the success summit in DC. And what was really interesting is we hosted three campfires, meaning that instead of just having a normal breakout where someone's just talking at you, we brought in this other Inc. 5000 entrepreneur who's actually on faculty here at the Whitman School to just talk through like human capital and um, how do you succession plan. And the whole point was not him presenting as we had all the entrepreneurs sit in a circle and share their experience. And from that shared experience could talk about this is what I faced and this is how I got through it. And it was funny because John at first was like, you know, I have all of these questions. I'm ready to stoke the conversation. I'm ready to go for it. And he said that each time he could just like say a sentence and they would just jump in and start, you know, really working together about how they can move that through. And I think that that's really interesting. But to your point, you know, it's always good. And I think it's good to leverage more than one resource. Like, don't just come to IVMF. We have folks that will start in Boost of Business and then go to EBV, then go to VYs, then go to Edge. And I love that. But they should also be going to, you know, PinFed and what they have. They should also be going to DogTag and see their fellowship if it fits. They should also be going to VIP. They should also be going to, you know, the bunker meetups. And why? It's because not to become a professional conference goer because I frown on that, but you never know where your network's going to expand and how you can see things from more than one angle. And frankly, you know, I hear this saying that, you know, if two high achievers tell you the same thing more than once, you should listen. And so how are you going to make sure that that gets reiterated unless you're kind of getting a different point of view from different places? No, absolutely. Like I said, I've done damn near every program and I'm always learning. I'll probably do some more programs, do it. Um, but you're spot on. And one of the things about IVMF, 
your tactical advantage is the data, right? So yeah. you guys are a data-driven organization, right? You've been doing it for years. Talk to our listeners about the biggest challenge you're seeing from a data perspective for our veteran entrepreneurs. Yeah, so the top three challenges right now are, and this isn't going to surprise you, I don't think, um, capital but it's actually more so what we're seeing from the data, it's not necessarily access as much as people think. It's readiness, meaning veterans are more likely if they go to apply for a bank loan and if they get turned down to never go back and ask for if ask for capital again. Civilians aren't that humble. They'll get turned down and turn right around and just be like, yeah, when I'm ready, I'm gonna ask for it again. So for us, we're starting to say that it's more of a readiness problem because if you know what stage you're ready for in terms of capital, whether it's CDFI or banks or pitch capital or non-dilutive or non-traditional, um, then you'll be able to access it at the right time. And so how do we get folks ready for that? So that's one. Um, the second one is one that people don't really think about, but it's social capital. So, you know, veterans often, we, we talked about it, that about that alumni circle. So veterans often have moved a lot. And so they don't have that deep social business circle. They didn't go to business school, maybe, or, you know, even though veterans are typically higher educated PS, that's a myth that a lot of folks think that veterans didn't go to college. Um, but, you know, they don't have that deep kind of social circle. And so how do we start to create that social circle? And I think that that's why it's important for different groups that are really doing that, that are creating that social connectivity. Um, but that's a huge challenge for folks. And then that leads to our third challenge, which is actually human capital. I think right now everyone talks about how hard it was hiring. And I think that that's, you know, been true. But for veterans, we've seen it in the data prior to this kind of great reshuffling, if you will, or resignation, however you'd like to refer to it. But veterans, because of that limited social network, then have a limited network in terms of being able to hire the right people for their jobs. Now, that said, when they do hire, they do better by their employees. They typically pay them more uh, than their civilian counterparts. They will typically also be more willing to train someone into a position than their civilian counterparts. And they're typically more obviously disposed to hiring other veterans than their civilian counterparts. So, you know, when it's done, it's done right. And I think that that's important to point out, too. So we see that. Um and then I think, you know, people need to realize because we are data, it's still true that veterans are more likely to start a business. There is no education is not a good marker of if you will start a business or not. Technically, actually, the less educated you are, the more entrepreneurial you might be as you move forward. Um, no background in terms of any other background is a good determinant on whether or not you'll start a business. The number one determinant or social determinant on if you will start a business or not is prior military service. It's the number one. And I think people also don't really take that into regard, regard either. Why do you think that is? I think that if you think about it, and specifically, you know, if you look at your lower enlisted, so the average person that comes through a, an, an uh, IVMF program is a, an 44-year-old E4 with a graduate degree. <laughs> so you know, typically E4s are not 44 years old once they get out. That's not a thing. Um, so what that typically means is that someone's gotten out, that they've taken advantage of their GI Bill, gotten their grad degree, then they've taken advantage of maybe these hiring programs that are hiring in corporate structures, and then they've taken all of that to start a business. Now, why do I think a veteran's better at it? When you're in the service, no one comes to you and says, I have this project. 
And I'm going to give you all the time, budget, and people that you need to get it done. And all the time and all the data and everything that you need to know. They come to you and say, I need this done yesterday. I don't have all the information. You're going to have to do as best you can with the information that you have at your fingers and make that educated decision. You're not going to have all the budget people or anything you need. And they can do that. And really, people think that entrepreneurs are these huge risk takers, that they're out there just swinging from a limb, guessing, checking and hoping it goes well. And that's actually wrong. Again, back to the data. Entrepreneurs are actually very calculated risk takers. They are more risk averse than many non-entrepreneurs. And the reason that is, is because they take calculated risks. And if you look at a veteran, they take calculated risks, not this crazy, huge, gigantic leap of faith that everyone thinks it is. And so I think that that's why veterans are typically, well, that's why they are more predisposed to starting a business, but that's also why they're more successful than their civilian counterparts. And they'll earn more than the civilian counterparts because it's been programmed into them to be that type of decision maker, to have that sort of resilience and to, and this is a big part, rely on their team to do so. They're not all things to all people. They're very good at being like, this is what I do well. And now this is what this person does well. And this is why we need to be on the same team. I want to talk about capital now, because that's one thing that comes up very frequently amongst minority entrepreneurs, veterans, obviously, you know, black veteran entrepreneurs, Hispanic stuff, et cetera. When I came into the ecosystem, right, you go to all these events and they're like, oh, if you're a veteran and you need access to capital or whatever, come to this event. Okay. And then you end up going, right. And you find out that a lot of the stuff talking about access capital is not really for, I don't want to say ideation phase businesses that haven't validated themselves yet. Right. So, you know, maybe you can create a pitch deck and raise money for a product from a venture capitalist. But if you're just a veteran entrepreneur that has this great idea that you want to bring to life and you say, oh, I need 10000 for it or whatever. You're not getting it from a bank. Let's just be quite frank. You're not. They don't do business like that. They give out loans. They give out loans based on, you know, cash flow, positive right. businesses. They want their return back. Venture capitalists, they're looking for those opportunities that are to give that, you know, 100x return and stuff, et cetera. And so what ends up happening, I've seen, is that veterans get fired up. They go to these events, talk about access to capital. And they can't get capital for their business, right? right. And so one of yeah. the things I've been a big proponent of is fund your business the old bootstrap way. You're paying customers, yeah. right, to uh, basically fund your initial startup costs. Now, You're you right. also have, if you say, oh, you go the government contracting route, yes, potentially you could get a government contract that's big, but even still, that's a big gap. That's and big so, gap. so you have to have prior performance before you're going to go and get that. Talk to me about what like you're seeing at the ground level with regards to, to capital. Look, bootstrapping is the best way to go, quite frankly. So 75% of businesses will start with 25% or it's $25,000 or less. And, um, and through that, where do they get it? Typically bootstrapping. And you see a lot of credit cards at that point getting popped out into the world. I think that right now is probably the best time. And I think that a lot of folks say, oh, it's not a good time because we're going into recession. It's the best time to start a business because, I mean, frankly, you're right. There's, you know, it's not just about pitch decks, but there's a lot of non-trad, non-traditional capital that's out there. I've seen groups that have been able to piece together, you know, Pfizer right now has a back to business grant that is $10,000 for 
underserved group. So they're looking at black entrepreneurs. They're looking at women entrepreneurs. They're looking at other minorities to say, here's $10,000. And then with that $10,000, how do you invest in to get the next $10,000? I've seen multiple of our entrepreneurs that have pieced that together for $100,000, $200,000 in non-dilutive startup cash. That's huge. But the other part of it is, to your point, get customers to pay those original bills. Gosh, dang it, lean into these programs. Because if you look at it, so if you go through EBB, let's put that. So you take a week of your time, which is a free program. It's not, or no cost program. I don't like to say free often because time is money and I'm taking a week of your time. On the back end of that, we'll build you a free website. We will get a social media person to audit your social media and help you build that too. Um, I can send you to Sandler Sales Training, which is $5,000 a pop. I can get you access to ProQuest, Mintel, all of those databases. We do about $100,000, up to $100,000 a month in those reports getting pulled all the time for folks. Um, I can then also help you get your logo designed uh, for free as well. I can you know, go through, get you locked up with a lawyer, a CPA. So that's part of your bail team right there. We have insurance folks um, that do that, but the lawyers and CPAs are also free. Think about how much, and I'm sure you had to go through that, how much you spent on that as a startup, right? So that right there is thousands and thousands of dollars of your startup costs taken and done and, and done and we do e-commerce sites so if you have that part then you can turn that part into your customers starting to pay and starting to get you revenue and then you're more attractive to go to someone like a cdfi first which should be your first stop not a bank go to a cdfi because cdfis are more in that zero to two hundred fifty thousand dollar range whereas banks really kind of start at that two hundred fifty thousand and then go up but CDFIs are um, amazing, amazing folks that can lend preferentially. Banks cannot lend to you because you're a black entrepreneur. CDFI can. So CDFIs look at the unbankable and start to figure that out. But they also offer technical assistance too in terms of helping you get your business in the right area and having those business coaches and, and working through that. But I would say milk these resources as much as you can and get what they have for you in terms of all this free post-program support and everything else. So you don't have to spend your money on that dumb stuff and you can spend your money on things that you need to that are more niche to your audience. Um, and don't be afraid to enter and look at different acceleration challenges, pitch competitions, because it's not necessarily the person who can speak the best because you can go through pitch coaching. We, in our pitch competitions, we require it. We give you a pitch ghost. And so I think that that's huge. But no, capital's an issue. Um, but that said, there's a lot of different ways that you kind of have to step up to it before you're going to go to a bank. So there's a hundred different people you should be talking to before you ever hit a bank. I'm just at this point where I'm just like, I just tell every very entrepreneur, I come get customers, just go get customers because tattoo that on your forehead. One thing that you you can run into is like you said, you become the pitch person, right? Where you've been pitching, you've done 20 pitches. And you don't got any money in the bank account. And, you know, I was blessed to receive $25,000 from Mark Rockefeller and the Street Shares Foundation, you know, but a lot of my success for Ironbound has come through just good old, old fashioned talking to customers, onboarding them, et cetera. So here's my question for you then, because as you go out and get customers, true or false, 
it gives you a better idea of what you need to be doing with your product. Like, did you see your, your, it kind of changes, it kind of matures a little bit as you are talking to more customers and getting out there and, and working with that. I see so many people that get so passionate about their product that they forget about the problem they're trying to solve. They're no longer passionate about that problem. Absolutely. It absolutely helps you clarify your messaging too, because the more customers you talk to, you get close to closing them. You don't close them instead of you then have a better understanding. Okay. This is the real pain point. This is the, I call it dog whistle branded. This is the (laughs) dog whistle that got their attention and they're like, all right, take my money. Right. Yeah. I think it's huge. I think it's huge, but no, get customers because anyway, that's going to help you really shape your product. And the more you shape your product, the more customers that you'll get. Now, how are you all creating curriculum for those that are raising venture capital from startup? I mean, those that are launching startups that are trying to raise venture capital from, you know, VCs and angel investors, et cetera, and what they need versus, you know, small business owners and what they need. Because I view those as, they might start off the same in the initial ideation phase, the validation phase, but you're different strategies. And I know one thing we're constantly coming up with at the bunker is people need different things, you yeah. know? And so sometimes you get speakers that are coming in talking about venture capital and tax return. And I'm like, these people, they need like square. They need stripe. Know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They're looking at the clover. They're not exactly. looking at, yeah, they're looking at payment solutions and, and how they cannot pay so much in their credit card transactions. Right. Um, I think that that's why we have, so I said 11 programs and a lot of people are just like, that's obsessive and way too much. I know it's not because we're hyper focused. Each one is supposed to be a, a different intervention. And to your point, the person that's starting a main street business is just as valuable as the person that's starting this big VC firm, but they need different items. And if you're going to sit there and put them through a program where they're talking about this same thing for different people, it just, it doesn't help. So when we look at our programs, we really, really sniper focus them to what that audience is wanting and what they need. So to give you a better an idea of how that looks, I just told you we're at the Veteran um, Entrepreneurship Success Summit in D.C. That entire agenda was curated specifically for that group. And that means that as they apply to that program, I didn't have a set curriculum. I knew that I was going to have breakouts on Thursday and Friday, three sets of breakouts of three. And then as they came in with their applications, they listed their top three challenges and what their top three successes were over the year. So I could see like, okay, everyone's top three successes. Okay. Everyone's really gotten good at CMMC. They all know what it is now. They all know who they're going to. I'm not going to do a breakout on CMMC because they all listed it as their big one this year. A lot of them are having issues figuring out kind of what's going on with some of these new government contracting schedules or what's going on at the VA or, you know, now they're all looking at succession planning because SDVSOBs require another SDVSOB to come in to take it over. So we actually customized that complete agenda to what they asked for and met, made sure that, you know, it was meeting them where they're at on this journey. We do the same thing for EDGE and we do the same thing even as we start to put together EVDs. So we know what the base curriculum is. So of course, we know marketing and we know branding and we know certain things like that. But then we'll have some optional breakouts where 
hey, if you're going to government contracting, you're going over here. If you're not, you're going over here. Hey, if you're setting up to go VC style, you're going over here. If you're setting up to go Main Street payment processing lines of credit, you're going over here to have this breakout. And that's what I think folks have to do. I think, you know, we talk about it. And I said at the beginning that entrepreneurs get passionate about the product and not the problem. I think program people get the same way where it's like, this is my program. This is my child. And this is exactly how I'm going to do everything. And on Monday, we do this. And on Tuesday, we do this. And on Wednesday, we do this. And if you're not as agile as a programmer, as you're expecting your person that's coming through, your delegate that's coming through to be, you're doing it wrong. And so I think that that's what we have to do as folks too. Yeah. One of the things I've been fascinated with even this podcast is initially when we launched it, the idea was obviously to highlight entrepreneurs within the Bunker Lab ecosystem, bring resources through audio. But the other thing I found out, it's been a community within itself because you have so many entrepreneurs spread out all over the country that aren't in the New York cities of the world and stuff, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So like in New York, there's always something going on. Man, if you're out in Podunk, Dakota, Glens Falls, or, New York, like yeah, you're in some suburb somewhere, nothing's you know, happening. You don't yeah. have that same level of kind of community. So when these virtual programs start popping up, that's why people were like, kind of sign me up because now yeah. it gives them access to it. And with the podcast, what I found is that it really supports a lot of our entrepreneurs that are kind of out there away from these physical ecosystems. We saw a huge uptick in that. So we 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 threw on, you know, EBB Spark and we were like, okay, that's great. We have an online program now and we can now meet people where they're at, which is their living rooms because it's the pandemic and we're social distancing. What was interesting is 70% non-white signed up for that. So now you're looking at, well, wait a second. So I'm, I'm reaching an audience that, I haven't reached before in ways that I haven't reached before. And guess what? They're jumping on these remote sessions, which are all Zoom, and they're seeing folks that look like them, and they're represented in this startup. And now their 30 new battle buddies have a shared experience, whether that is they're sitting in rural parts of America, but either way, they're not in these huge mecca of activity. And I think what we saw that is it became just kind of a huge movement in that every time we launched one, it got full because, you know, their friends would tell friends would tell friends, like, you've got to go through this program because, you know, there's, there's you and there's other folks that are like you that have that shared experience. And it was huge. And we saw rural populations that weren't going to drive two and a half hours to their nearest workshop, but they were going to jump online. So I think another thing is, and I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, you're looking at this and continuing the podcast and looking at how you can possibly grow it or whatever, because I'm there are things that keep me up at night, right? If you ever want to do another segment, but things that keep me up at night is that now that the world is gathering again, that people are going to forget that people still live in a rural America and really benefited from all these online programs. You've already seen webinars start to drain. You've already seen hybrid conferences start to drain. And frankly, it's sad because there are some folks that can't leave their house for a full weekend for whatever reason, whether they're caretakers or they just can't. I think that being able to create access to education and more importantly than that works. Like I can say here all day and say, we run great curriculum and it's awesome and we love it. We also just create great networks and that, and that connectivity, not to just to resource, but to people is really important And so I just hope that folks really 
remember how important that was during the pandemic and keep it going. Yeah, I've been even doing uh, like little 30, 45 minute uh, study halls on Sundays during an off hour on Bunker online, you know, and I just do a working session. So I jump on there. I show them how to build a marketing plan and stuff. And what you've got me thinking about is how do we get access to these resources, veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses in the in the uh, off hours? You know, like you said. Like, I know there's a big, even in the military, a lot of people do night school. A lot of people do this stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, while programs are happening during the day and everything, right, it's great. It happens at noon. There's a large percentage of the community that can't show up to these things. So, you know, we've got to get creative. we got to think about this and say, okay, if we're not reaching these certain demographics, right, what is the barrier to get in front of them and reverse engineering the process? And so it sounds like you found that out on the online aspect. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm just excited to think about, okay, how can we start to think through that here, you know, a bunker too. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, it's like, think about it. If you threw open a zoom link, no agenda, Hey, we'll have breakout rooms. If you guys want to break out and chat about website, social media, or just chat. Cause you haven't talked to another veteran entrepreneur in a little bit. Like we did that. We called it tips and sips and we sent everyone live EMF cup and this popcorn from actually a Texas company that went through EBV, Texas A&M, fun fact, uh, popcorn Friday, and just said, just chat. We're just going to throw open our Zoom link and you guys can just connect. But I think connectivity is key and that's not just to ecosystem, it's to each other. So how do we just keep driving that in a way that people don't, I don't want people to start to feel isolated again when the world goes back to in person and some folks are still just not in that ability to be in the middle of it all. I love that. And you know, you're always welcome back on this platform. Like I said, we can do some deep dives because this is, you know, for me, I'm always thinking about how do I get more better entrepreneurs and yeah. military spouses in the fight? How do they yeah. avoid, you know, I got beat up, Misty. I've been knocked down, beat up, dragged through the mud. I'm still standing. Um, but so how do we get- you, Who would you, how would you, what would you attribute to like- pushing through that? Like, was it you alone or was it your group or was it your comrades or who, how'd you push through that? The biggest thing that has accelerated my entrepreneurial journey is getting a business coach. Like I have two business coaches right now. You know, I have one, I got Bill Watkins who I had on the podcast and I've been working with her, her name's Pia Silva and she works with agency owners like myself, you know? And so having someone that can get in the weeds and kind of help me think through things and walk through things and, you know, really seeing how the sausage is made, being around other successful entrepreneurs that, you know, they show you behind the scenes and you're like, well, I can, you know, it's, it's, it's real because there's so much hype in entrepreneurship. Look at me. I'm so successful, whatever. And then you're like, okay, well, you know, how much revenue did you bring in last year? You know, what are you paying yourself? You know, and when you're in a group that I found that is really vulnerable, People talk openly about these things and then you understand, okay, well, if I need to, you know, make $250,000 a year, I need to do X. If I need to make hundred, I need to do this. And so that was the difference I saw because when you first come in, do a lot of these programs, people aren't really talking about their revenue numbers, what they're paying themselves. It's all vague. So you don't really know. Then you get a business coach and he just keeps it real. Lays it out. You go from like the the entrepreneurs, right, to the entrepreneurs, and I think that's huge. But you find your tribe, and I think that's a big important part of it. That's that's why business coaching works well. That's why cohort 
programs work well because it's this built-in tribe of folks that have that similar shared experience. So I think that's it's big. We we are big time fans of business coaching. We just did a Dan Dan Daniello, Navy veteran, founder of Carlisle Group, um, self-made billionaire, and like real self-made, like grew up in a you know single parent household. Um, has endowed this acceleration challenge where we put 10 veteran entrepreneurs together with a business coach. And then they go through this big program. And then at the end of it, they don't realize it, but they're getting granted $10,000 to put that plan into action. But the big part of it is you need a business coach. So we're, we, we totally agree with that. So that brings me up to our point as we kind of close out here. Yeah, We've got veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. Number one, what advice would you like to leave them with as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? Some words of encouragement. And number two, as a community, how can we uplift and support the work you all are doing at IVMF? So I think that for entrepreneurs specifically, we talked on it, but to really drive it home, find your tribe and find people that are really starting their business. Like if you're moving to start your business, don't surround yourself with a bunch of, like I just said, entrepreneurs, find someone that's two steps ahead of you. And then once you get there, you can look back and find someone that's two steps behind, but you need to surround yourselves with people that are going through the ick too, because entrepreneurship is not meant to be a lonely journey at all, period. And I think people get stuck in it, that it's this like very lonely, scary thing. And it's not there's so many people that are doing what you've done and that want to share like their battles too. So get with a group, get with your battle buddies, get with a tribe and figure out programs until you can find your tribe and get involved there because you need to have people that you can have those very real conversations with that can help you push you through the really dark times as well as be the first people to celebrate the big wins. And I think that's big. Um, how you how you can help IVMF is the same way that you can help any other program or um, group is talk about us. And so I think a lot of times, you know, especially when we were pushing our shop military around the holidays, people think, well, I can't support a small business because I can't constantly be buying. You can talk about them. You can share them on your social media. You can tell your friends about them. You can just not shut up. And that is really valuable to our point, you know, there's a lot of noise in the world, but if you're talking about valuable resources and you're pointing them to our website, ivmf.syracuse.edu, or you're making sure that they get these resources in their hands, it's the most valuable thing ever. Because at the end of the day, the more folks that can succeed because of our programs, the the more that we can help help other veteran entrepreneurs. But if you're a veteran or if you're an organization that is looking at, you know, how can I help these other organizations? It's, you know, share this podcast, share... Um, posts that you see on social media, share things in your circle, but just talk about them is the huge way. Well, Miss, it's been an honor chatting it up with you. This is not going to be your first and only time on the podcast. I would love to be able to get your curriculum partners on too to kind of talk about, you know, hey, what good resources and just kind of talk through some things because, you know, this is the power of these platforms. There's no, you know, one of our core values at Ironbound Media is there's no rules in audio. And I'm about creating this resource that people can leverage using these platforms to really just provide value. And so on the curriculum side of the house and all that stuff, if there are, you know, um, people within the network, of course, you know, graduates of EBV yeah. program participants, you let us know. We'd love to be able to feature them uh, on this platform. And I think our listeners will get tons of value out of it. So uh, definitely honor having you here today. 
For all our listeners, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I do my best to send out a newsletter at least once a week. And if if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Misty, how can people find you and uh, get a hold of you? They can. I'm on the website. So you just can look up Misty Fox. My email's right there, mfox18 syr.edu. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Misty Sussman Fox. So always reach out. Happy to connect with any entrepreneurs and figure out how we can help you. And more than happy to connect you to our group too, including some of the Vet 100s, which I think would be fun because there's some great stories from how they grew their businesses all the way up to the top. So please do. Yeah. So until next week, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. Thank you.